You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike, Pensacon, New Jersey. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. I've been gone for two Sundays because my family and I went on a two and a half week road trip across the whole United States. And the story, one of the best stories from our trip is right there in Ennis, Montana. So we were in in Yellowstone National Park, which is in Wyoming. And we left out of the west entrance of Yellowstone National Park. And there's a little town there called West Yellowstone. And we had about a little under half a tank of gas when we left. And we were just excited to kind of get out of there because uh, we had just seen Old Faithful. And it was kind of a blitzkrieg of Yellowstone on the last half day that we were there. And we had to get on the road to try to get to our next destination. That's the kind of trip it was. So we just flew by the gas station into wide open, beautiful hills like the ones behind there. Uh, And the the, the hills on this beautiful mountain road that we found ourselves on, they looked like they were were really soft because they were green with the July spring of Montana. Uh, (laughs) It's only warm there for a few days. Uh, And... And it was just such beautiful country, and we were so distracted by it, we didn't even realize that our our gas got down to one bar, and we hadn't seen any civilization, because we left into rural Montana from north northern Wyoming, and we were we realized too late that we were really in trouble, because also in rural Montana, uh, there is no cell reception, and we looked on my phone, which had like you know, a quarter bar or something, it was able to to decipher on the map that there was gas about 50 miles away. Uh, actually, I think when we first looked, when we first looked, it was 80 miles away. And then the the last bar on our, our, our fuel gauge disappeared. And I said, I've never seen that happen before. <laughs> we have a Prius, so it gets, it gets really good uh, fuel mileage. And my mechanic taught me that you should never let your tank run down to empty because then the sludge gets in your fuel pump and it's better to keep gas hot tip fill up your gas when it's a quarter when it's a quarter tank it'll it'll be better for your engine in the long run better for your gas pump anyway it was gone all the gas was gone and Gwyneth was driving and she turned on her super pro fuel economy driving so she was kind of surfing these hills at the top of the hill she'd be going like 42 miles per hour and then at the bottom of the hill she'd be going like 97 you know (laughs) just trying to get all of the momentum and she kept our our prius tells us like what fuel economy we're getting in any particular moment so she kept it at like 50 or 60 miles per gallon but we were still freaking out we turned off the air conditioner we rolled and we didn't roll down the windows because you know you have to stay aerodynamic and we, because we, we think we have to make it these eighty miles to this Sinclair gas station. You know what? You know, anyone know what Sinclair gas is? They have a dinosaur. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, there, there are dinosaur bones in Montana. Uh, anyways, though, uh, there were there were several towns on the map we could see between the Sinclair gas station and uh, where we were. But according to what internet I could get. The gas was only there. And we came to the first, it was, it was only up, 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 up 80 miles away. And so we came to the first town that was on the map. And indeed, there was no gas in the town. There wasn't a gas station that we could find. 
And so we start thinking about, well, what are we going to do? Well, we could just – look, that guy's mowing his lawn. Can we just ask him for gas? Um, you know, Because it wasn't deserted and there were plenty of cars on the highway. And I said, okay, worst case scenario, you know, we're going to – we're just going to run out of gas and I'll hitchhike to the, to the Sinclair and hitchhike back. You know, it, it'll be fine. This is because – this is because I do, I do, I, I will say this with confidence, um, I, have, I have the spiritual gift of faith. I, it, I, I have actually discerned this. I have a kind of uh, high level of ability to trust in dire situations like this. Uh, Gwyneth is a bit the opposite, and so she was using all of her skill to get us to all the way to the Sinclair gas station driving awesomely but she was certain we were not going to make it because by this we'd gone 30 miles we still had another 50 miles to go after we left that town that didn't have any gas what the heck and we thought well i don't know what's going to happen so we were just kind of we got our our uh some of the the anxiety in the car got high enough that it it migrated to the back seat and our eight-year-old son oliver tuned in and he started to get a little uh upset about the situation and so we came to the next town about 25 30 miles down the road, and we're really, we've got nothing. We came to Ennis, Montana. And miracle of miracles, Ennis, Montana has a gas station. <laughs> praise God. We really did praise God. We, 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 we were praying that Ennis would have, have one, and then it did. It might have materialized because of our prayer. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. It was, it was a very joyous moment. I will remember it forever. The, this kind of not impossible situation, but felt impossible uh, being uh, resolved, and we felt delivered by our deliverer. I bring that story up because the, what I said in the middle of it, I do have the gift of faith. I, 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 have, I have, this is just who I am. It's something God has given me, and it's probably one of the reasons that I'm, I'm your pastor. Uh, I was telling another friend uh, who is involved in a lot of advocacy work uh, that she had the spiritual gift of prophecy. See how I'm talking about spiritual gifts a lot? Because it's Spiritual Gifts Month. We're focusing on spiritual gifts in Circle of Hope this month. There's going to be a training uh, on the, the 23rd. There's a, there's a Zoom session. It's online, and you can talk to some people about your spiritual gifts, and you can take a spiritual gifts uh, inventory discernment here at wayofjesus.circleofhope.net in the fire section. You'll, you'll hear more about this, but we have this tool that we've, we've adapted to use to say, what is my spiritual gift? So I was telling my, another friend that her spiritual gift was prophecy because she's such an advocate, because she cares um, so much about trying to change the way that the world works, and she does something about it. And she said she, said she had never thought, thought about herself that way because she comes from a more uh, apostolic tradition where a prophet is someone who can tell you something about your future or about who you are that no one else could have known. There are prophets that travel around the country um, that, 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 that say um, things that only God could have given them. That's what a prophet is. That's what the gift of prophecy is, was to her. And I said, no, you also have the gift of prophecy because the prophets are not always just soothsaying. They're not always just telling the future. They are imagining that another world is possible. A prophecy uh, is hope in action. The person who exercises the gift of prophecy takes the risk of hope in the face of hopeless circumstances. So I was trying to get her into this other sense of, oh, maybe you could be a prophet in this sense, even if you've never had a vision about the future. 
Uh, in the Bible, there are often visions that these prophets get uh, that are about the future or are, are, or are a special um, sending, a special anointing from God for a particular purpose. Uh, and I think that she, my friend, who works in advocacy for through our compassion team circle mobilizing because Black Lives Matter, I think she should receive that anointing. And, and we anoint her to do that work in our name. Uh, but... Yeah, she. I, this is what I was telling her. When you look at the way systemic racism fueled by the terrible lie of white supremacy dominates our culture, and each one of us, no matter how tolerant or loving we are as individuals, when you see the world the way that it is, and you're not satisfied. No, in fact, when you see it and you are deeply concerned, and as a black woman, when you see it, and, and you are deeply wounded by it. And yet, you take action. You step forward into the face of this lie and say no. And lead us to say no in creative and imaginative ways. It could be different. We could do this differently. We can actually make an impact. It's not a lost cause. That is being a prophet. These people who do this, that imagine another world is possible, that it doesn't have to be the way it is. Those people are also prophets. Isaiah is a prophet that you've heard of. Uh, he's the favorite Old Testament prophet of the New Testament writers. Paul quotes Isaiah in his letters 27 times out of 37 times that prophets get quoted. Number one favorite prophet of Paul. And in the books of Acts, in the book of Acts, both Peter and Paul in their famous sermons that they give, quote heavily from Isaiah. Isaiah 43 is a good reason why the early church found Isaiah so useful. Uh, and, and, and it's for what they, for what they were trying to say, those early uh, church writers were trying to say something about what Jesus had done, and they found uh, this redeemer in Isaiah 43. Let me read it to you, this section. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariots and horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters to the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. This grand vision of how everything is going to change and be new. We are not stuck. We are redeemed by the Redeemer. Let me, let me unpack some of this language. 
God as Redeemer is kind of Isaiah's catchphrase. This word Redeemer kind of pops up in the second half of his book. Biblical scholars look at this dramatic shift in the middle of Isaiah, and they guess that Isaiah 40 and onwards is actually written from within the context of exile in Babylon. Quick reminder of uh, Israelite history. Uh, They were, uh, in 722 BC, the northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria. And then in 586, is that right, Bryce? 586, you remember? No? Okay. I think it's 586. 586, the southern kingdom was conquered by Babylon, and many of the people were taken into exile in Babylon, which is in current uh, day, like um, Iraq. And so there's this this dramatic shift at, at, at Isaiah 41. It says, comfort, comfort my people. And that, that this section of the book is called the Book of Comfort because it seems that they're writing to people who are in... Well, it's, it's clear that they're writing to people that are in captivity. But the first part of the book is written to people who are uh, about to be conquered. It's, it, it's, it's, there's even historical narrative in the beginning of Isaiah that describes what's happening with the kings. Isaiah is telling the kings, hey, y'all did wrong, and guess what? You're going down. Um, and the kings try to avoid the inevitable consequences, but Isaiah helps them... Uh, to understand their fate. and But then in, in 40, there's this kind of time warp, and now we're in exile, and we need comfort because we have been, we, the Israelites, have been conquered and taken off into a foreign land. Can you imagine being taken from your home and made to live in a distant country? Can you imagine trying to make a life there? Uh to live in a foreign culture, a foreign language, foreign customs, foreign foreign gods, foreign food, and it's all against your will. I can't imagine a more complete loss of identity, especially for the people of Israel who were so connected to the land where they lived. The land was part of who they were. It was part of the promise that God had given them, and it was very important to them. The descendants of slaves in the United States know this all too well. The effect of that dislocation is elemental to the history of our country. It affects all of us. It's interwoven into the fabric of how everything works. And it's why we need my my prophet friend to say, there's another way. But it's so powerful that it could easily cause us to despair, right? You know, honestly, it regularly causes me to despair. I don't know what to do. So I look to that other world that's possible. The people in captivity in Babylon, they needed this hope for another world. Despite being totally disconnected from who they thought they were, somehow God must be faithful, even in this circumstance, even in this foreign land. They must find a deeper core for their identity as God's chosen people, even though it seems that everything that was so important to who they were is lost. The temple where God dwelt among them in Jerusalem, it's been destroyed. The land that God gave them, the promised land, it's no longer their home. Their sovereignty as a people is buried under the complete control of conquerors. 
everything is wrong. But God. But God is still who God is, and God must have a plan to redeem them from this too. Just as God made a way where there was no way through the Red Sea, a way through the desert will be made, back from north, the north in Iraq, back to the valley of the Jordan River, back to Jerusalem, back to their home. God will redeem them from, from this captivity. He will ransom them. That's the language from the New Testament. Take them back. There's this active tension, though, in the Old Testament. These people that are in captivity, they're working this out. You can see it in how the books were compiled and how they were written, that there's this tension about being in exile. The, the, the Old Testament, as we know it, actually formed up as a collection of books in exile. You know, there were, there were different scrolls, but they didn't come together until... The, the time when the people were in exile, because it, these stories became so much more important. They didn't have the daily rituals that they used to have. They, didn't, they weren't even able to perform the, the law that was given to them because uh, the context was all wrong, and it was illegal in this foreign land. So the, the stories got compiled. It was kind of a resistance movement to say, no, this is who we are. This is our book. This is who makes us who we are. But there's a tension in that, in, that, in that compilation. Should we just be Babylonians? Should we just figure out how to live here? You know, eat their food and worship their gods? Or should we hold on for this impossible hope? Should we actually uh, dream that we could go back, even though it seems impossible? <sighs> I think we understand this. I think that we, as people who live under a domination system like we do, people who uh, are subject to these giant systems that don't make any sense and are, are founded upon evil often, it's very easy to despair in the face of this impossibility. How could I understand any of it? None of it is intelligible. None of it is even uh, remotely within my power. As much as they tell me that democracy is going to save me, it really seems useless a lot of times. And so I could easily despair. The risk of hoping is real. The risk of hoping beyond hope, the risk of imagining another possible world, it's the risk of disappointment, the risk of of running out of gas because the energy it takes to keep moving against the current is so strong. To, to keep saying there is more when it seems like there's none. To keep saying love when there's so many scary things happening and there are so many loud voices shouting fear. To keep saying what else when everything seems the same. Isaiah says, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? We just celebrated the main symbol of our hope, the Lord's Supper. There is a way even through the wilderness of death. 
We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. It's the most impossible hope that we profess. It's the foundation of all our other hopes. Jesus is alive, even though he died. Jesus promised to return and he will make all things right, even though things are so far from right. And it doesn't seem like I can do anything about it. But we are the presence of the future. We are the presence of that future that God has promised. Do not remember death as that thing of old that it was before. Jesus defeated it. It's formerly dangerous. Jesus has done a new thing, and we must remember that we are a part of it. So we make that symbol a part of us. We've incorporated it into our body in the juice and the bread. And the common ritual helps to make us into the body of Christ here on earth, the presence of Jesus in the world. And in this body, God is making things new. We are the new thing in Christ. And that might be the hardest hope to risk. It's the risk that we ourselves can actually change. You are not just stuck in your identity. You're not everything you always were. You're not your DNA, your mistakes, your Enneagram number, your patterns for happiness. Who your culture pigeonholes you to be, you're none of that. You're a gift to the world. And God is refining you in this body to be the presence of the future. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, do I have it up here? Yes. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all people. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Jesus has given us to his body to be for each other. The gifts that we're given are not just for us. We're not just stuck in figuring ourselves out or getting as far as we can by ourselves. We are given the gifts of ourselves for each other and for the benefit of the whole world so that the whole world may know that, no, this is not the way it's going to be, that there is a future, that there is a hope, that God has a plan, that he will redeem you from the captivity that you are experiencing and that we are experiencing together by all of these terrible forces that seem so strong. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.